Thank you, Mike, and thank you all for coming. How many of you got to be here last night? All right, great. About half and half. So I'm going to review some of what I did last night for the people that didn't hear it, and then I'm going to share some new material with you as well. So um, in teaching, they always say reinforcement is a good thing. So hearing it twice uh, may help it, or you may pick something up that uh, you missed the, the first time. Um, the basic premise of my talk is that voting machines have to go. And people are kind of surprised when I say that because they say, well, you're a senior lecturer emeritus in computer science and engineering. You must love computers. And why don't you want computers to be used for voting for everything? And I say, well, it's because I know computers that I don't want computers to be used for voting because anybody who knows what they're doing in cybersecurity will tell you, given enough time and access, any computer can be hacked. So the Navy has a red team whose job is to try to hack into government websites and other computers that are that are on the network. Sometimes they are asked by a department. So Social Security Administration might say, hey, we'd like you to see how safe our systems are. Sometimes they are assigned and the agency doesn't know they're being tested. Their success rate is 100%. They have never failed to breach a government system. So if every government system that's been tested can be hacked, Bank of America has been hacked, Target has been hacked, I had my income tax return hacked, some of you have had credit cards hacked, it is painfully naive for anyone to say, oh, but voting machine computers can't be hacked if every other computer in the world can be. So the bottom line is that we need to get rid of the voting machines and go back to hand-marked, hand-counted paper ballots. But I want to give you six reasons voting machines must go. So the first reason is they're not transparent. If you think about the process of voting with hand-marked, hand-counted paper ballots, it's almost 100% transparent. So the voter fills out the ballot, drops it in a locked box, at the end of the election, the sheriff picks up the boxes and takes them to the courthouse, unlocks the padlock, the counter takes a ballot out, holds it up, and the Democrat observer and the Republican observer say, I see one vote for candidate A, and the recorder marks down on the tally sheet, one vote for candidate A. And so it's almost 100% transparent. You can still cheat with paper ballots, but it's harder to do and it's easier to catch. Now, fast forward to 2023. What do we have now? We have a system that is almost 0% transparent. Now let's go in and numbers come out, but you have no idea what happened in between. Was your ballot counted? Was it ignored? Was it flipped? You don't know. So voting machines must go because they are not transparent. <laughs> voting machines must go because they are not accurate. So one of the things that election officials have to do is demonstrate the system to the public. So your election administrator will advertise a couple of weeks in advance on such and so day, we're going to have the public demonstration of the logic and accuracy test for the system. So in two places that I know of, one in Alabama, a 
citizen went into the demonstration and it was an ESNS system like you use here in Fort Bend County and about half of Texas uses ESNS. And she asked them, will this system detect counterfeit ballots? And they said, yes, and it'll reject them. And there was a line of people. They had given everybody a ballot and said, fill it out, and then we'll go put them in the machine and and count them. And so there's a line of people. So she took her ballot and went across the street and made 10 Xerox copies and brought them back in and got in line. And when it was her turn to put them in the machine, she asked again, will this machine detect and reject counterfeit ballots like these Xerox copies? And they said, oh, yes, it's not going to accept them. And she put them in and it accepted all of them and counted them. So if the machine will accept and count counterfeit ballots, it's not accurate and voting machines must go. They are not accountable. So the best of my knowledge, there has never been an independent expert examination of the source code for a voting system in the United States. Now, the Secretary of State in Texas requires that the source code be deposited in escrow. And so the Secretary of State has the authority to authorize an independent expert to examine the source code. But to my knowledge, that hasn't been done. In North Carolina, they tried to do it. So the North Carolina law says that any party may request to examine the source code. So the Libertarian Party did. And when they were appointed they hired an expert, computer science professor, retired computer science professor, uh, to examine the source code. Then the State Board of Elections said, oh, well, we don't have any procedures in place for how that should be done. And before we can write up procedures, we have to have hearings. And before we have hearings, we have to have notice. And so it took six or eight months to give notice and have the hearings and write the procedures. And when they finally got done writing the procedures, then they said, okay, Libertarian Party, you can have your expert uh, examine the source code. And he looked at the procedures and he said, there's no way I can do the job. So they had made it so cumbersome and so strict that the bottom line was it was not possible to examine the source code. So if you can't look at the source code, then they're not accountable for what might or might not be in it. The hardware is vulnerable. So Harris County uses heart intercivic as does brazos county where i live uh college station on the 16th of this month the vice president of heart was asked in a public county commissioners meeting in kerr county are your voting machines hackable and he said our voting machines hardware is made in china and it is hackable so if the vice president of the company tells you that their machines are hackable you should probably pay attention and so most if not all all computer components are made in China. The Department of Defense has discovered tiny chips, extra chips added to motherboards. Those of you who are technically minded, look up Supermicro. So Supermicro made a lot of motherboards that had some extra chips on them. They have found extra chips concealed in the USB connector on a keyboard. So you have a keyboard with a USB cable and you go to plug it in and you don't know that inside there, there's also a Wi-Fi transmitter that every key you press is being transmitted to someone who is, is listening listening to it. So the hardware is vulnerable. Another reason the voting machines must go is because the software is vulnerable. And I'll show you in a minute uh, proof that the software is vulnerable from Mesa County, Colorado. But let me just mention that the voting systems that are certified, once they are certified, they never apply any security patches and they never update the antivirus definitions. So if you have a Windows system, you know about Patch Tuesday. So that's the first Tuesday of every month, Microsoft 
book issues anywhere from 20 to 100 patches, of which eight or 10 will be labeled critical security patch. None of those patches has been applied since the machines were certified. Similarly with the antivirus definition. So as new viruses are identified, companies make a definition for it, Windows Defender or whatever, and your system updates so they can recognize the new sources of attack. None of those updates are have been done on any of our voting machines. So their software is vulnerable. And finally, the network is vulnerable. And the network is vulnerable in a number of ways, but the most obvious one is because the systems that are in use now for voting systems have a permanently open backdoor in them for remote access for software maintenance. So on the Dell computers that are used at ESNS, it's called IDRAC. So it's a little I, capital D-R-A-C. On the HP computers that are used on Heart InterCivic, like in Harris County, it's called ILO, little I, capital L-O. The L-O is for lights out. So as long as the power cord is plugged in and there is a network, Wi-Fi or internet cable, you can have the machine powered off and it can be remotely accessed. And so that remote access, if you look on the purchase order contract for Fort Bend County, the purchase order contract says we are ordering this system, including IDRAC. So the system was deliberately ordered with a remote access capability. Now, the... Uh, the reason for the remote access capability is for remote software updates for large companies. So Bank of America has 10,000 laptops around the country. They don't want to make 10,000 phone calls and say, leave your laptop on at 3 a.m. so we can update the software. They just use iDRAC. And then it doesn't matter if it's powered on or powered off. As long as the cord is plugged in and there's a network, they can connect to it without ever starting the computer and without ever loading the operating system. So it's like a second computer that's that's inside the computer. And so the network is vulnerable. The other thing on the workstations that were ordered for Montgomery County, they also, in addition to Wi-Fi, have Bluetooth. So Bluetooth allows peer-to-peer connection between any two devices like your Apple iWatch or whatever. And so the network is vulnerable. And so because of that, the voting machines must go. Now, let me tell you about the proof that the software is vulnerable. So after the 2020 election in Mesa County, Colorado, there was a municipal election in Grand Junction. So as happens in many places, the city or a school board will make a contract with the county to run their election because the school board generally doesn't want to have to buy equipment just for their their own election or whatever. So the city of Grand Junction has Mesa County run the municipal election for city council. So there was the November 2020 general election, and then there was the Grand Junction municipal election in April, ran into May of 2021. So those were two elections. So after that, those two elections, then Tina Peters, who is the clerk and recorder for Mesa County, Colorado, got a notice from the Secretary of State that said Dominion is going to come in and upgrade your software. And so as any prudent administrator would say, she asked, is this going to delete anything? Because federal law says election records have to be preserved a minimum of 22 months and Colorado state law extends that to 25 months. 
And so she said, I need to know if it's going to delete anything, because if it is, I'm going to make a backup first. They eventually said, yes, the way we update the software is we erase the whole disk and we install the new software. She said, okay, I'm going to make a backup. So she made a backup. And then they came in, installed the software, and then she made another backup. Now, if you think about it, this is just good operating procedure for any administrator. Would you keep your money in a bank that didn't make a backup every night? If something happened, fire, tornado, you know, how would they recover and know how much money was in everybody's account? This is just good operating procedure. So she had made those two backups and they were eventually referred to a database expert named Jeff O'Donnell that some of you probably know as the lone raccoon. Uh, he is a, a database expert. And when he looked at them, what he found was rather alarming. So here is what Dominion says is in the server. It says that the scanned ballots go into a tabulation database. So a database, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like a filing cabinet. And in the filing cabinet, it has a bunch of drawers. And in each drawer, it has a bunch of folders. And each folder, it has a bunch of spreadsheets, except these are super spreadsheets because one spreadsheet can say, go look in the other drawer in this folder in this spreadsheet and put that number here in this. So that's what a database is like. So the scan ballots go into a tabulation database. They go into an adjudication database, which makes a decision and asks to answer the question, what was the voter's intent? So if it is clear, so if there are two candidates and one bubble is completely filled in and one is not complete, is completely empty, then they say, okay, they voted for this person. But what if both bubbles are about halfway filled in? Then the computer says, I'm not sure, let a human look at it. And so it puts it up on a screen and asks the clerk or deputy clerk to say, can you tell how this voter voted? And if they look at it and say, yeah, it's clear they just put their pinned down on the first bubble and made a small mark and then filled in the other bubble three-fourths of the way they really meant to vote for candidate B, then it's clear. If it's not clear and say it really looks like both bubbles are exactly the same, the percentage filled in, then it's an overvote and we don't count that race. We count the rest of the ballot, but say since it looks like they voted for two candidates and they can only vote for one, we're not going to count that. So there's automatic adjudication by computer. There's human adjudication for the ambiguous cases. And so then once it's adjudicated, then that number, if it is, if the voter's intent is determinable, is added to the results database. So that's what Dominion says is in their system. Here's what Jeff O'Donnell found was actually in the system. There was an input folder for the ballots. We're getting some feedback. Um, there was a tabulation database and adjudication database and another tabulation database and another adjudication database, two sets of books. And in this first set of books, there were about 25,000 votes, which was about a fourth of the votes. So when the, when the election had gone, had, when the counting was about a fourth done, so about a fourth of the ballots have been counted. The system created a second set of databases and out of those 25,000 databases, 25,000 votes copied 20,000 of them and left the other 5,000 behind and then proceeded with the rest of the election. Now, the votes were still there, but there's no way the clerk could see them because if they had asked, let me see ballot 374, it's like on an Excel spreadsheet. If you hide 5,000 rows, everything else moves up. 
and the 374th line is actually line 5374, and you can't see the lines that got hidden. Furthermore, the ballots in the adjudication database were not the same. And so that makes it look like when the ballots that, so some ballots were left behind, it looks like some of the ones that were copied were altered before they were put into the database. So that's what happened in November 2020 in Mesa County, Colorado. And then he said, now I'm going to look at the municipal election from April, May 2021. Exactly the same thing happened. After about a fourth of the votes were counted, some but not all were copied to a second set of databases and the election proceeded. But in this case, because it was a smaller voter, smaller number of voters, since it was just one city and not the whole county, the four winning candidates for city council won by a margin of 3,000 votes, but there were 8,000 votes that had been left behind. Now, if somebody tells you you won by 3,000 plus or minus 8,000, what that means is you don't know who won that race. Yes, from Tina Peters' backup. So she made what's called a forensic backup. So if you just say, copy my documents folder to a USB drive, it copies those files. It doesn't copy the deleted files and the empty space. A forensic backup is like a clone. It says copy every bit of the whole disk to another disk. And it also has a chain of custody on it. So after she got the database, she gave it to her legal team who gave it to some IT people who said, we don't know databases. We'll have to give it to Jeff O'Donnell. He looked at it. When he found this in there and told her lawyers, this is what I found, they said, we've got to have this checked out. We need a second expert to look at it. And so they called me and said, would you look at it and see if you find the same things that Jeff O'Donnell did, which I did. And we co-authored what is now commonly referred to as uh, Mesa Report 3, which I thought I had a link to. But if you go to, oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, tinyurl.com slash Capital Mesa dash Capital Report dash three, and so that's the total report. Yes. Uh, uh, what kind of expertise is required to do to set up that that second set of books, uh, and is it typically available in the lo local government? Uh, Dr. Andrew, can you repeat the question for the Zoom? Okay, users, his please? question is, what kind of expertise would it take to set up a second set of databases and would local government typically have that expertise? So the answer to the first question is a knowledge of this particular database system. So it's Microsoft SQL Server. So a Microsoft SQL Server programmer would know how to create a second database and copy it. And this might be legitimately done in the course of an application is to make a copy of the database. Let's take your bank for an example. So you make a copy of the database of the account balances as of midnight last night, and then you put in the checks and deposits for today. And if that process completes normally without error, then you delete the last night midnight and say, start using these new balances for today. So uh, um, an SQL programmer would know how to do this. I don't know of any election administrator IT office that routinely hires SQL programmers, uh, but it is a common skill in the software industry. So it would be a contracted outsider, outside of a local government? Yes, or it could have been programmed by Dominion, or it could have been inserted by the permanently open backdoor of IDRAC or 
So the three most common ways of compromising a system are bad software. So it could have been pre-programmed malware virus, a local operator, someone sitting down at the machine and typing in the commands to do this. But the commands to do this are rather complicated technically. So we're talking like 100 or 150 commands, and you have to know the name of the database that you're going to copy and what you're going to do with it and so forth. And then the third easy way would be remote access. So I think I saw another question. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So that's what's in uh, Mesa Report 3. So I confirmed Jeffrey O'Donnell's findings. We co-authored Mesa Report 3. And... Uh, that is proof that the software cannot be trusted is because it did these improper operations in Mesa County. Yes. So we don't know whether the Dominion software routinely copies these databases or whether it's being done externally or some other method, but, or, or do we know that the Dominion? It, not for sure, because we haven't been able to see the source code. We've only seen it twice two instances, but you don't know why. But it was two different versions. And so that makes it, in my opinion, more likely that it came from the manufacturer that way. Uh, so I don't know. And yes. Could that uh, replication be done on the back end inside of SQL Server? You have scope procedures and triggers that could actually, at a given point in the processing, could actually replicate that data and start using it for Exactly right. Doctor. And because it happened after 25% of the votes were counted in two different elections. Doctor, could you repeat this question? Okay, his question was, could uh, the SQL programmer have put in code to say when a certain event happens, then trigger this creation of the second databases? And the answer is, is yes. And it did happen at the same point. I mean, think about, you remember the story about the Volkswagen emission tests. So Volkswagen engineers had to meet the EPA requirements for emissions, and they knew they were going to be hooked up to a testing machine, and they figured out how to tell if they were hooked up to a testing machine. And if they were hooked up to a testing machine, then they would give low pollution. But once the testing machine was unplugged, they would crank it back up for higher performance and more pollution. So it was basically a way of avoiding the test. So, yes. Check the just accountant uh, number of codes. If there's a difference, it gets examined for under. You talk. Your question is: uh, Why not just count the difference? Do you mean the difference in the ballots or the code? Each code instruction is counted in the program, and if it's different than the previous one, you examine it and find out where it is. Okay, I, I understand your idea about counting the number of instructions, but modern uh, computer systems are multitasking. And so when it's doing the process in one module and says, I need to write something to the disk, but the disk is busy doing something else, then it switches to another module. And so it's like somebody who is juggling five plates on the top of broomsticks at the same time. And you know there are five plates up there, but you don't know which plate is on which pole at the same time. So there might be a way to monitor it like you're describing, but this is proof because there shouldn't be two tabulation databases and there shouldn't be two adjudication databases. And so that is enough proof that the software is not trustworthy. Yes. Um, Biden won November 2020. <laughs> 
four people from out of town who had never lived in Grand Junction before won all four seats on the city council. Okay, uh, we're going to run out of time. We need to stop the questions for now and move on to the next uh, presentation. Let's see. My clock says I have 20 more I minutes. I know, but uh, the questions are uh, keep going. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank you. I, all right. Sorry. I won't repeat his question, but his, his point was that if I take more, too many questions now, I won't get to tell you the rest of the new things I was going to tell you. So let me go ahead and take my remaining 20 minutes and tell you some more things that you haven't heard before. And then at the end of the program or after the program, we'll be here uh, and be glad to answer more questions at that time. Thank you, Mitchell. Um, Pima County, Arizona has, like many places, mail-in ballots and 80% of the voters vote by mail-in. So if mail-in ballots are requested at random times, sent out at random times, sent back at random times, there should be no discernible pattern when you start counting them and count the cumulative ratio of Democrat to Republican. So there'll be a few bumps at the beginning because you have such a small number of votes counted, but it should very quickly settle down to be close to the final ratio, which here was 1.57 to 1. So this is odds. So if it's 1.5 to 1, that would be 60% Democrat and 40% Republican. 60 divided by 40 would be 1.5. So that settled down very quickly. So this is what a fair election would look like with unsorted mailed-in ballots. Here's what the election actually looked like. Does that look like a horizontal flat line? No, I don't think so. This same curve with two bumps and a little hiccup about a fourth of the way through. Hmm, where have I heard about something happening a fourth of the way through the counting before? And then following almost a linear path over a two to one slope. So it's going from three to one to 1.5 to one. So it's starting out at 75% Democrat and ending up at 60% Democrat. And it's following this path so closely that in my opinion, from my math and statistics background, this is evidence of control like a cruise control on your car or an auto land system on an airplane when the airport is completely fogged in. So the pilot punches Cat 3 Auto Land Engage, and it says, I want to hit the start of the runway at a three-degree slope. So it starts down the slope, and there's a sudden gust of wind, and now the plane is headed down. The computer didn't know there was going to be a gust of wind, but it knows it's not aimed in the right direction anymore, and so it tilts back up. But it overshoots. And now you're on a four degree glide slope and it says, OK, you need to go back down a little bit. And so if I blew this picture up, what you would see is weaving back and forth around this target line and getting closer and closer to it and finally ending up at 1.57. So the simplest mathematical mechanism for doing that is a closed feedback controller like the cruise control in your car. It's called a PID controller. And I modeled this election using a PID controller and uh, it does match. Sorry, I didn't see the sign. Uh, okay. Um, 15. Thank you. The other thing that came out of Pima County, Arizona is there was a whistleblower who sent an email to the Department of Justice, the FBI, and all of the legislators saying that he had attended a meeting in September of 2020 prior to the election in which every Democrat was promised an extra 35,000 votes. And he asked a lot of questions. Uh, he or she, I don't know which it was. And uh, they said, well, won't that be obvious? If there's an extra 35,000 votes, there'll be a big jump. And they said, no, we're going to spread it out. Well, I had heard that before, but it was only after I completed this previous analysis 
and concluded that it was a controlled outcome for the election, that I actually got the full email that the whistleblower sent to the FBI and all the legislators, which said the blocks will be inserted, the fraud votes will be inserted in blocks of a thousand and the system will auto adjust. Well, what does auto adjust sound like? It sounds like a controller trying to follow a line. But when he said blocks of a thousand, I said, now I know what to look for. I couldn't find 35,000 extra votes. But when I looked for blocks of a thousand that were out of line with the block before and the block after, remember this trend line ought to be flat, but it's sloped. So these blocks right in here are running about three to one, Democrat to Republican. Here's a block of a thousand that's six to one. So there it is. So I can tell you the ballot numbers, 127024 to 128023. Those thousand ballots are more than likely one of those fraud blocks of a thousand extra votes that uh, was promised. Here's Brazos County, and that was Arizona. We all know how corrupt Arizona is. Nothing like that ever happens in Texas. <laughs> Here is what a fair election in Brazos County would look like. Wiggle, 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 settle down. Here's what it actually looked like. Now, it's not the same kind of control curve the other one was, but it sure doesn't match that. So how did I get this curve to know what it ought to look like? Like I said, if mail-in votes aren't sorted, ought to, they ought to be random. And if they're random, I could shuffle them and get the same curve. So if you take all of these votes and shuffle them, you'll get the same curve. The wiggles at the beginning may be a little different, but it'll flatten out to the same value. This is why quality control works. So if Frito-Lay makes 10,000 bags of potato chips, they pick 100 bags at random and inspect every potato chip, it doesn't matter which 100 bags they pick because they're picking them at random. And so I just shuffled it. This is what the counties are now doing to prevent us from seeing the sequence like this. They are taking the non-random controlled votes and shuffling them before they give you the CVR. One quick question. I work on the ballot board. I know that the ballot board sorts the, the ballots, the mail-in ballots, based on precincts. They process groups of precincts, and they, they don't all, they, they may be mailed out randomly, but they're not actually recorded. The votes are not actually recorded randomly because of the process of the ballot board. Okay, his point was that in his jurisdiction, they sort by precinct. If you sort by precinct, this doesn't apply. So this is when they are not sorted. Whole states are hiding cast vote records. So Alabama, South Carolina, the whole state says, nope, you can't see the cast vote records. Certain counties, Harris County, Dallas, Tarrant County, Williamson County, Travis County said, nope, you can't see the CVRs. Well, the attorney general said, you have to let me see the CVRs. He said, well, then we'll sue the attorney general. So that's going on right now. And I'm one of the people who asked for the CVRs from Harris County. So when that lawsuit against the attorney general comes up, I may be an intervener in that case and say, this affects me as a voter as to whether there is manipulation in the outcome of the vote or not, and destroying the sequence information. So the argument for destroying the sequence information is, oh, we need to protect voter privacy. Well, the way voter privacy has always been protected is by not counting a single vote at a time. So if you have one person sign in and put one ballot in the box and you take out the one ballot, then you know whose vote it is. But you can't start counting until there are 10 votes in the box. And once there are 10 votes, 
notes in the box, you don't know which one it is. And so that is not a valid argument to protect privacy by saying we are going to destroy the sequence by uh, shuffling them like uh, Maricopa County did to destroy the evidence. We have had some wins in legislation, the, the main legislative session that just ended. So House Bill 1243, um, which was uh, signed into law by the governor and is effective September 1st, now restores election fraud to being a felony. So for two years, it was just a misdemeanor to vote illegally or attempt to vote illegally. But now voting illegally is a second degree felony and attempting to vote illegally is a state jail felony. So I consider that a win for making a stronger penalty for someone who who votes illegally. House Bill uh, 5180 puts into law that on the first day after the official canvas, the cast vote records must be released in, in all Texas counties. So it'd be interesting to see what Harris County says now after September 1st. And they say, well, it's in the law. Doesn't matter if you didn't like what the attorney general said and sued him. I'm going to ask for him again if they, uh, if, if they, if they don't deliver them. Uh, and House Bill 3159, the governor vetoed. I think that was a good move because the ostensible purpose of this bill was to make it easier for disabled people to vote by letting them vote online on the internet. It did not say in the law only disabled people may vote online in the internet. It just said certain persons may vote online on the internet. And to me, this is the camel's nose under the tent that once it had it been approved for disabled, they say, oh, well, we also need to let these other people vote online. Once you have people voting online, there's no ID check, there's no chain of custody and no confidence in, in the election. So I think those were wins for us in Texas. Harris County, there are at least 1,100 known illegal voters in the last election. And the late Alan Vera found 64,153 deceased registered voters who were on the Social Security death list that were registered to vote in Harris County and 384,000 voters whose national change of address said they no longer lived in Harris County. Edison Research reports the data during the course of the election counting and furnishes it to the New York Times who distributes it to others. Okay, um, that shows some states like Wisconsin. You remember where the Trump and Biden were climbing like this and then all of a sudden Biden went like this. Okay, that graph came from the Edison Research data. There were actually some drops. Now you think about this. We have this many votes for the candidates at this time. At a later time, we should either have the same number of votes or more votes, but I watched on live TV the total go down. That can't happen. Moreover, all of the states, including and the District of Columbia, were set to zero shortly after midnight. Some of them immediately came back to a previous result. Some of them came back to a different result. Tennessee stayed at zero for five and a half days, the count that was being broadcast on the, the media. And there was an interesting oscillation that occurred in a lot of counties. So I said, it looks like these numbers, these graphs I was showing were controlled to follow a particular path. Well, another form of control is to change the type of the vote. So you have absentee mailing the votes, you have early in-person votes, and you have election day votes. If you're a fraudster, you can't do much to change the people that vote on election day. But what you can do is change mail-in absentee ballots. 
And so I want you to watch a little video and I'm going to give you the link. So take a picture of this so you can play the video back yourself. Now, remember what I said, when you're counting votes from one minute to the next, the total should either stay the same or go up. This graph is a bar graph. So the top graph, this was prepared by Jeff O'Donnell. So the top bar is the total votes. So the total votes does indeed, over time, this is a time-lapse video, so over time, it does grow. So the total is going up. The second and third bars are the mail-in and absentee. And the mail-in and absentee, instead of staying the same or getting longer, what you will see is they get shorter, and then they get longer again. And then one gets really short, and the other one gets really long. And then it gets really short, and the other one gets really long. And Jeff has kind of a musical interest and so he set it to music. So if we could play this uh, short video from Fulton County, Georgia. other questions for me, counselor. Got close to the pool, there was volcanic gas coming up that would corrode and destroy the robot. So the second rule said, follow orders, go get the selenium. And the third rule says, protect yourself. He says, no, I don't want to be corroded. Go get it, protect yourself. Go get it, protect yourself. And so what this makes me think is that in addition to the rules of follow this trajectory to achieve the predetermined outcome, if you're too low and need to make a correction, then take a bucket of mail-in votes and put them over in the absentee ballot. And so it does that and then it's too high. And there's another rule that says if they're too, if you're too high, then take some votes out of the mail-in, out of the absentee bucket and put them in the mail-in bucket. And the two rules are just oscillating like the robot that's getting closer and backing off and, and, and so forth. So that's what it reminds me of. Okay, I am almost out of time. I want to tell you one more thing because this will be something that Dr. Frank has more information about. The voting turnout. So in presidential elections that occur every four years, voting turnout has ranged from 50 to 57 percent. I should just press snooze and talk for another 10 minutes, but I'm not going to. I'm going to finish this slide and then I'm going to turn it over to the next speaker. So for these elections, it's ranged from 50 to 57. So the average is probably 53 or 54. I didn't do that. So what do you think the voting turnout was in 2020? Well, it was 62. Okay. It was 
uh, hard fought, exciting election and more people were interested in getting their outcome. So that's not too much higher. But how did they calculate this? Look at the title. This is not the percentage of registered voters. This is the percentage of the voting age population, which means everybody over 18, including people who are mentally incapacitated, people who are felons, and people who haven't registered to vote. So what we really want to know is how many people registered to vote versus the votes. So Biden got 81 million votes. Don't say the rest of it. Uh, <laughs> Trump got 74 million. Third party and write-ins got 4.3 million. That adds up to 159.7 million votes. How many registered voters are there in the country? Well, Census Bureau says there are 168 million registered voters, which is a 95% turnout. I don't believe it. I don't believe 95% of the registered voters voted in 2020, but this is how they disguise it. So these are the numbers. But if you look it up, what you're going to see is percentage of voting age population. And 62 is a little high, but it's not too far out of line of 50 to 60 that it's been following for about 20 years. So final slide. What can you do? And Dr. Frank's going to have a lot more to say about this. Promote hand-marked, hand-counted paper ballots. There are three groups in Texas who are doing this. If I'm not, if I'm on this side, I'm blocking his camera. If I'm on that side, I'm blocking your camera. Okay, I'm going to stand here. Now everybody, everybody can see it. Uh, get county commissioners to adopt a resolution for no voting system shall be used unless it contains no remote access capability like IDRAC or ILO. Montgomery County has IDRAC. If your county commissioners say, no, we don't want a permanently open back door to our voting system, then they can ban it. It has been certified by the EAC to comply with version two, which is the 2021 voting federal voting system standard. None of our voting systems are certified to version two. Why is that? Because it's stricter than version one, and they don't want to certify their systems against a stricter standard. standard. So the standard that they're certified to now is 2005. So we've learned a few things since 2005 about what not to put in voting systems, and that is in version 2.0. And then the third thing is that the EAC, Election Assistance Commission, Certificate of Conformance was signed by the EAC chairman within two years prior to the election, and the testing lab was certified within two years prior to its testing. Why did I put this one in here? Because the federal regulation says the certificate must be signed by the chairman. The certificate for your software here was signed by the executive director. So that certificate is not legal. Some of the testing labs that approved voting systems were cert last certified in 2017 for a period of two years. That means if they did any testing after 2019, the lab was not certified that did the testing. So if you have an uncertified lab and you get a certificate from someone who's not authorized to sign a certificate, you do not have a certified voting system. And I will stop there. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time spent on this presentation because your vote is your voice. It does not matter if you are a Republican, Democrat, or Independent because this is not a partisan issue, but an important call to action for all Americans. Countries like France, Germany, the Netherlands, and Italy recently woke up, recognized the real threat of electronic vote manipulation by socialist and Marxist who took over other countries without firing a shot. 
simply by placing pre-selected sympathizers in political offices and mainly against the will of the people. Fearing the loss of their sovereignty, these countries set aside their political parties, came together, and made it a national priority to abandon their electronic voting systems and switch back to hand-marked-in-hand counted paper ballots. This effort was accomplished in a matter of months. Now, win or lose, all candidates can trust the hand count is accurate, transparent, and the true will of the people. It's time for America to wake up and do the same. Unfortunately, in other countries like Brazil, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, the people failed to recognize the threat of using electronic voting systems which allowed pre-selected socialist leaders and dictators to come to power. Now, the will and the freedom of the citizens is permanently suppressed in those countries. Would it surprise you to know that many of the same vulnerable electronic voting systems used in those fallen countries also have a major role in many elections in the United States? If you found this information valuable, we challenge you to help wake up your fellow American citizens and share this information with a minimum of 10 people through text, email, and social media, and even with an old-fashioned phone call, or even face-to-face. -face. We, and future freedom-loving American generations, thank you in advance for answering this call to action.